Let's just talk. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to go live. I just ate some Shake Shack, and I say we do this without an agenda. All right. Just throw ourselves into the mix. Pretty much. All right. Welcome to episode three of Design, Test, Build, Repeat. I am Mike Kivakoski. I'm Eric Bailey. And welcome. Thanks for joining us for another episode. It's, uh, it's been a while. It has been a long time. A lot of that has probably been... Not probably. A lot of that has been my fault. Uh, Typical Mike. Right? So with my, my current work schedule, the current project I'm on, and then having the six-month-old at home and the two-year-old at home, I haven't had much desire to do this. You mean brand new life is, is a higher priority than a, than a design podcast? That's Yes. That's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's been... About three months or so since we've last chatted, so I figured this be a good time to just kind of shoot the shit, if you will, yeah. about like what we've been working on and problems, processes, things we've found that have worked well. Yeah, yeah, totally. So uh, high level, what have, what have you been on the past few months? I actually just wrapped up uh, my, what, like a year and a half engagement with uh, the client um, I was assigned and uh, it was basically a uh, nursing web app for a uh, large education company. And uh, I actually just did my last little pack it up, pack it in, let oh. me begin. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, the end of the project is always so stressful, just like wrapping up all the deliverables and knowledge transfers. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's always like there's one other thing you always forget to send. And like, I know... A week from now, I'm just going to be trying to go to bed at night, and I'll be like, "Oh crap, I forgot to send that thing." And, yeah. You know, so, <laughs> so on this project, I mean, a year and a half is a long time. How how did deliverables work throughout this beast? Um, so it's interesting because, like, the client it's sort of one of their first forays into digital, so um, they did a lot of things I think that they thought they should, but it evolved as we went. So, like, I was able to bring Envision into the mix uh, before they were sort of just like dumping screen order screenshots into Jira, which is like the worst possible yep. way to do that. Um, and you know, fortunately they were very open to, um, you know, new processes and new ways of doing things. And, you know, I feel pretty lucky about, about that because there's definitely other situations where that may not always be the case. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting. I think we've mentioned Envision before, yeah. but it's basically like a, uh, design comp sharing tool slash prototyping tool for workflows yeah yeah it's um it's got a lot of little neat tricks up its sleeve where you can actually download the screens and hook up hotspots and yeah like live collaboration we've been using that we've been leaning on that i should say very heavily on my project that's wrapping up next week and so it was a f about five months with a large enterprise e-commerce company and so we went in doing a lot of the user experience and workflows and figuring out, you know, where there were pain points or drops in conversions in their, in their system. And so we did a lot of wireframing and low fidelity mockups, but then putting it in vision and creating like workflow based prototypes that we then got to do with a lot of user testing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, like the artifacts are, I kind of like that idea. I want to talk about it a little bit more. It's it's such a weird thing because like you spend so much time contracting, kind of being immersed in their world, and then you pull out, 
and then you're kind of like out of that headspace. Um, and then, you know, in my case, the contract was re-upped, so I kind of had to like relearn some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually started, it's one of those like nobody was doing it, so I just did it because I couldn't remember. I started maintaining a wiki on their um, GitHub repo, and that was kind of funny because like I became the de facto like wiki guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know. It, it was kind of it was kind of cool because you know, this time around when I was doing the knowledge transfer, I was like, well, I'd just tell you to go to the wiki. So there's the wiki. Um, Smart. And so you were able to keep that updated throughout. Cause so often someone starts a wiki and then it dies. Yeah. Weeks later. Yeah. I tried to stay on top of it. Just like whenever I found myself asking where something was or how something was done and just try and throw it in. Um, yeah. There was a couple more technical things we had in there, but it was it was just kind of like I can't count the number of times it saved my bacon, or like I would have had to wait for six hours for somebody to email me back or something like that. Yeah, and so was that just like in the README file, just like a log of things, or no? Uh, GitHub actually has a uh, a wiki. Each repo has the ability to um, basically build a little micro wiki, and it's all marked down. Oh, red. Yeah. I don't think I realized that. It's pretty cool. I'm a fan. That sounds it. Because this project, you were doing a lot of front-end dev, a lot of SaaS. Yeah. Accessibility. Yeah. Were you doing design work as well, or was this more front-end? It started as kind of UX, UI design work, uh, and then, you know, it, it only did a finite number of things at the end of the day, and mm-hmm. so um, it became a lot better of a use of my time to kind of trans- transfer over to that. It's rad. And it's nice. Both of us kind of have those skills of being able to go from user experience and design into the front end dev and transfer. It's like a duck boat. We can, we can <laughs> drive on the land and then <laughs> crash into the water. Just can't do either of, either of those too well. And it we takes should, a lot of gas. We should put that on the on the website under services yeah. <laughs> we're, we're design duck boats <laughs> i think that's what we should name this episode <laughs> um so on ours i didn't do as much the project i was on i didn't do as much front-end development i did some prototypes um, and code pen which was super helpful and then some github html css ones just to show interactions and i slapped a bunch of terrible javascript just to like demonstrate it yeah. But something that I found that was big was people wanted to learn or wanted to implement accessibility. And a lot of them thought it was like you flip the switch, like accessibility is just like a to-do checklist item Mm -hmm. where it's really, you know, you have to iterate over your work, you have to test your work, you have to test it across devices, screen readers, color contrast, um, mobility issues, keyboard only. And to be expected to do that overnight is you know, impossible and unrealistic. Yeah, it's, I mean, you, you know I have feelings about this, but um, it's, it's always in context. Like, it's, it's, there's always some factor you need to consider, um, you know, down to the copywriting. Like, are you using jargon? You know, are you, mm-hmm. are you writing at an appropriate reading level? Like, are you consistent? Yeah. You know, it's just, you can rabbit hole so like, much with that, but it's, it's so vital. And the consistency is key, as I think it is with everything. But it's amazing when you have lots of hands in the pot, if you will, like how slowly you can drift away from being consistent yeah. without even really realizing it. Mm-hmm. And so we started 
suggestion or suggesting and implementing using some sort of pattern library so mm. that that voice would be consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our client, we didn't have the time, unfortunately, to create an official kind of pattern library. Um, but what we, what we actually wound up doing is because we kind of had the same issue was uh, creating just a sandbox page that was kind of disconnected from the rest of the app, but used the app styles. And it was like, you want a button? Scroll down for a while. Find the button. Yep. And that went a huge way. I mean, it was a pretty quick and dirty way to go about it, but, you know, it kind of just turned into this dumping ground, um, and it was way better than nothing, so. Yeah, and if it works, I mean, it's a step towards that direction of having a common source of truth. Yeah, that was what I was trying to, like, kind of push them towards, but um, just kind of just the nature of what needed to get out and how fast. And um, another kind of like weird issue was just multiple generations of contractors, so many different voices. Yeah. yeah. How did, were you able to work through that? Yeah, for the most part. Um, some areas still need a lot of cleanup, but like, you know, getting them to work with partials, getting them to think in terms of like flows and not pages were, was pretty key. Yeah, we found that as well, that... That their system was a developer would take a story and that story would basically consist of an entire page of Mm -hmm. development Mm -hmm. and another developer would take another story and there were a lot of components or modules that that basically shared between those two, but each developer would basically rebuild it a little bit differently. Yep. So going through the Envision mockups and then going through like our proof of concept pattern library, we were able to say, you know, this piece is the same exact as this piece. So just one person build it, put it in the source of truth, and then others can reference it. Yeah, because I mean, needed. like a button is a button is a button is a button. And you know, if you've got one button and it's a bulletproof button and it works and it validates, you know, that's awesome. If you can just copy paste it for a developer to just kind of use and not have to think about it, that's even better. Yeah, and copy and pasting is again, I think a step towards the right direction if there is a way to actually like pull in that markup without having to copy and paste oh yeah um, then you're even better because like copy and pasting can still produce human errors yeah and then you know you get people stripping some maybe like accessibility tags and stuff that like they're not familiar with yeah i i actually i I have a confession but i kind of went you know, I, I turned on the uh, the jerk mode a little bit um, and wrote wrote some like I used some not selector, so I was like, if you're making a button and you're using a span or a div or a paragraph tag, it's gonna you know it's gonna turn hot pink and say don't use me. That's the best when you can do when you do stuff like that. So as a developer, it's building. They visually see that recognition. You know, if it's something where you can't have or you don't have that automated test yeah. put in or that linter, you know, creating that. SAS partial basically that then yells at them. Yeah, because you were looking at one for accessibility earlier today that we were looking at. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm trying to build a little thing that'll just kind of do that out of the box. Because like I, I really I think one of the main things I took away from this project was the more sensible defaults you have getting started, the easier it is to kind of maintain that cohesion. Yeah, it makes sense. So it's one of those. Don't be so clever with all of these tricks in the beginning, and then it becomes easier to maintain. Yeah, when you're using normal standards-based, yeah, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is such like when I say it, I'm like, duh. But then you see some of the work out there, and not necessarily on the project that I was on just now, but you see some of the solutions that people offer, and it's just like, why? 
like a lot of times you'll see like custom select or custom drop downs mm -hmm. that need to be like re-implemented with JavaScript and then it loses all this accessibility mm -hmm. and it's like what you know why yeah <laughs> why are, why are we doing this and I found a lot of times it just comes down to like a lack of knowledge on on that case like some yeah. people don't realize how much work it is to re to remake a select I've I've found yeah like you know it, everybody loves a pretty select menu um, but if you actually sit down and kind of explain why you know it's better to go native. As long as you're kind of not a jerk about it, you can usually kind of let them see the light. Um, and, you know, at least for our our project, you could kind of bring down the accessibility hammer and get your way because it was an educational product mm -hmm. and therefore had to basically conform to all of these, you know, mandates, yep. <laughs> um, which was nice. Uh, but definitely kind of sometimes created some confusion as to why, you know, the thing that was built had to be rebuilt. Yeah. But hopefully it's one of those things that they, you educate someone on it, they understand it. And then moving forward, they hopefully don't like reproduce yeah. that mistake. Yeah, totally. But I mean, stuff does happen. But um, on that accessibility kick, uh, over the past few months, I put together a document of accessibility like tools, resources, um, process, stuff like that that I've gathered from you and Joe Wilson along with other people here at Cantina and found two that were super helpful. One was that WAVE, the... Oh yeah. What's it stand for? It's, uh, web Accessibility... Oh. Something gosh. Evaluation. Yeah. Hold on. We have the internet here so I guess we could look it up. It's so much work. But anyways, whatever. Wave. Um, so it's got its own site that you can put a URL in and then basically like run a, a visual test and it will spit out all the errors. Mm -hmm. Or there's the Chrome extension mm -hmm. and that'll do it. And then also um, the automated Axe testing. Axe. Axe and uh, Tenon IO. Yeah. Are the two heavy hitters. And so then you can put those right into your, your app, right into your automated tests. So it yells at you when you... When you jack stuff up. <laughs> I mean, there's, yeah, actually, I was kind of, I wanted to talk about that a little bit too. Because, like, you know, we'd have code reviews, and code reviews are wonderful, and I love them. Um, but at a certain point, you kind of turn into the enemy if you're the one going, you know, over and over again, well, you know, I don't know. You know yeah. It's just kind of human nature. So, like, I really like the idea of kind of, like, othering you know, your, your code quality problems where if it's the build that says you got to fix this as opposed to just, you know, somebody that's just constantly over your shoulder, yeah. you know, micromanaging you. I, I like that a little bit more. Um, it seems nice. That's, that's smart. I didn't even think of it in that aspect of just like the social team dynamic. So then you're not the accessibility person per se. It's rather our, our tests told you that you have to do this. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like if, if developers are working with, you know, a build system, hopefully they're pretty pretty familiar with like a testing kind of environment yeah. for normal, you know, JS yeah. component-y stuff. And um, if, if someone listening, if you're interested in learning more about accessibility, Marcy Sutton has a free course on Egghead. Yeah. On accessibility, it's like half hour. I think it's like five or six videos. Um I'm like halfway through it. It's really good. I saw her speak at Cascadia I'm a little jealous. out in Washington a few weeks ago, where she also did an amazing accessibility talk to the theme of uh, where in the world is Carmen San Francisco? 
she called it. And so, you know, she took the old, is it 1990s, 1980s, the video game, yep. and basically played it out in three different scenarios. You know, she was the moderator. We, we called people um, that are accessibility experts, basically, and they would give us hints. And then we could then she would, like walk us through the problem. <laughs> it's on YouTube. We'll link to it. it. And you can find it on our website at dbtr.fm. And it's, it's really well done. So I have a question. Did uh, Rockapella do the opening theme or were you SOL? Where in the world is Carmen San Francisco? Uh, so she had that she had that in it. I don't know who actually sang it, but it was there and it was it was spot on. Nice. You know, it's it's really the little things. That's it's the attention to detail that really sells it. It's it was amazing. Um, <laughs> she I believe she wrapped up the first day, which was a CSS day. And so Cascadia is a it's a three day conference out on the west coast up it's like uh, two hours north of Seattle, Washington, basically right on the border. Mm-hmm. And so CSS day, JavaScript in the browser day, and then JavaScript in the on the server day. And Cascadia did like a really good job, just with the inclusiveness, the the types of talks. So there wasn't uh you know this technology is the best. It wasn't like ten tips for React or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was more of so you're building something with JavaScript, like think of all these use cases. And there was a real accessibility mindset throughout all three days, awesome. which was really cool. So I heard that a certain someone whose name starts with M may have been presenting <laughs> at said conference. Self-plug. <clears throat> yeah, so I talked about CSS Pseudo. That's up on YouTube as well, along with the slides. And so I talked about the classes and elements that you can use currently, along with like five potential newcomers um, I think one or two are definitely coming focus within I think is already within in Chrome finally which is pretty rad so that's when you focus on an element that can receive focus so let's say a text input you can also style its parent wrapper in some sort of style to give additional visual indication that that input is focused mm-hmm. so it's it seems like a very nice accessible feature yeah, so it was my first time talking at a single track conference. It was it was four hundred attendees. There's probably close to like three hundred people. No pressure. They, you know, I was I was pretty terrified going up there at first. Uh, my mic didn't work at first, and so they switched out the mics. So I made a dad joke about mics because I always do. Speaking of mics, so we are in the same room again today. Um, we'd be interested to hear your feedback on how this sounds versus the past three episodes. If you haven't listened to the past three episodes, you can find them on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, RSS feed, or on our website, again, dbtr.fm. So, yeah, back to the like, uh, the conference thing. I mean, what, I'm just so desperately curious. Did you, I mean, coming in with... CSS knowledge, like for something that's kind of sounds like it was JS oriented. Was it, did you know, were you kind of like a little uh, about it or what was, how were you? A little bit. I wasn't entirely sure what to expect, but the talks were actually really good. So a lot of them were more of, or had a theme of, of like think of other people Mm -hmm. before you build or implement stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, One talk during the JS in the browser day um, by, Oh, I'm drawing a blank. But 
Her talk was in defense of static sites, and in front of a room full of JavaScript developers, she basically said, do you even need JavaScript? Like, do you need to write this crazy JS app for whatever the current project you're on or yeah. product you're building? Or can you just do it in HTML and CSS? Like, why does it have to be so complicated? Yeah, I know uh, Alista Part actually right now is doing uh, the 10K Apart, which is a contest to build a basically a, a website without any JavaScript under 10K that does something. Yeah. And there's some cool resources there. I'm really excited to see kind of what shakes out of that. Because it used... Was it 5K or 8K that it used to be? I think it used to be 8K. I know it's it's 14K for a round trip, which is yeah. like you got to stay under that for a good first first load. Which is so they're doing the 10K because it's the 10th anniversary yeah. of the contest. Yeah, and like that's a really neat contest to do to have people like rethink about how you can build the apps. Because I've even seen project managers and business analysts on Twitter like tweeting about it so like mm -hmm. if they're thinking about the performance yeah and it's it's pretty it's pretty nice to see plus you can tell people you're training for a 10k and it's super <laughs> impressive <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I mean like performance is a is a hot button issue right now I feel um, you know those those are the people that care care a lot those that aren't aware tend to throw a lot of JavaScript into stuff. Yeah. But um, now there's some really cool resources out there. And then, like, I think another big thing that's kind of coming down the pipe is um, basically all these emerging markets that are going online as phones get super cheap. So, like, uh, there's there's a website, what does my site cost? And it basically uh, figures out how large of a download it is and then runs it through different countries, sort of the cost of a megabyte. And, like, you know, some of these things clock in at like seven meg and like, you know, it's like if you're browsing the web and this is your only connection to the outside world, you know, you got to really think about where you want to go if you're getting nickel and dimed, especially if it's, you know, not as wealthy as a place as say the United States or Great Britain or Europe. Yeah. Cause some of the, some of the places on some of those sites, it's like that person has to work for an hour to do like 10 or 15 minutes of internet surfing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's not sustainable yeah. by any means. But, you know, again, I'm also just personally very excited for kind of these people to have access to the entire world's information. It's pretty amazing. So I think right now it's only, I think it's just under half the world population has internet access. Mm -hmm. And in something like, I think by 2020, it's estimated that we'll have like 10 billion handheld devices for a population of like 7.5 billion or something like that. Yeah. I remember I had, I looked up those stats for a webinar I gave a while ago and it was just mind boggling. Like at the rate handheld devices are going, they're just getting cheaper and better. And that people still don't want to build like a mobile first responsive yeah. experience. Yeah. It's, it's funny, you know, again, back to like kind of the accessibility Thing and the basics thing like mobile first and accessibility kind of are best friends they you know, really if, are if you do it right like you can kind of have your cake and eat it too yeah um, a couple things i've just kind of been working on the side you know just just kind of having those sensible defaults to start just made it so much easier to make things um, big just, time just a little bit of investment of setup and then just 
you can ride that payoff for a while. Yeah, because what's interesting is like if you build if you build version 1.0 or whatever as mobile first, and you don't touch any other screen size, it's gonna it's gonna work as a, the screens get bigger. Yeah. But if you start reverse, if you build everything assuming someone has a giant monitor or computer with a high speed connection, it's gonna be a nightmare trying to downscale that. Yeah, yeah. Another, and this is just kind of, it, it popped back into my head, but just for the accessibility thing, just a little goes a long way, and that's kind of for the checklist thing. And I guess this kind of ties into just, you know, the first getting, you know, the first round up and out. It's 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 better to do something than hold off till you have 100% of whatever your criteria are, you know, yep. however arbitrary it might be. So, like, just little details can yep. really go a long way. Alt tags, heading order, you know, that kind of stuff. Yep. The ship fast, ship early, ship often, or, or whatever. No, I guess not whatever, but that's the point, is ship it early and iterate on it. Mm -hmm. um, a site that I typically... So I use Zillow a lot, just like cruising for houses, just for fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and they have, they have modals upon modals, and that doesn't really... That's not really super exciting, but what I've noticed is that they're pushing out small UX releases over time, and they're doing it to different users, so they're doing like canary releases, because mm -hmm. I'll look at it on one laptop, and I'll look at it on another computer, and it won't be the same, which is how I'm deducting that they're doing this. Mm -hmm. But they did one where you can filter your lot size it used to be a minimum and maximum of square feet. So if you wanted an acre, you had to Google what an acre is in square feet or whatever. Yeah. And then the other day they pushed up an update where it's now a drop down where it's quarter acre, half acre, acre. And so it's an actual like user terms. Yeah. Instead of I like that. mathematical terms. I like that a lot. I've also, I've seen like as a micro interaction, which is pretty cool. Like, um, and you know, the jury's out as to whether or not like, taken over the user's input is blanket terrible, but like it'll do little conversions for you on the fly. So like, you know, like harvest has, you can, you can do 0.25 and it'll do a quarter hour and like do all the math for you. Cause we're use the 60 minute thing, which drives me <laughs> insane. But you know, it's like little touches like that are just, you know, like, Mwah. yeah, it's nice to see. And then it's someone that's, you know, identified a problem and then made it easier for the user. Yeah. Like the chances of that stuff being in that very first release, doubt it. Like there's so much, <laughs> there's so much other stuff. You know, it's, um, it's like if you were making a statue out of stone or whatnot, like you don't go in and chisel the face completely done before you do anything else. Like you rough out. Yeah. That's just creepy. The whole body. <laughs> just this perfect face among this big stone. <laughs> but you go in and you do out like the full shape and then you start to like hone in on all the details throughout the entire, entire statue. I mean, I think making a digital product is a very similar process Yeah, where you start large and you work, work your way in to those nice details. Yeah. And you've seen the, I'm going to have a, such a pain Googling this after for the show notes, but like, uh, the, you know, the, the first version in terms of like air quotes, like minimum viable product, there's that whole like understanding exactly what that means in terms of functionality where there's, I think there's like the comic shows, like 
two two ways of minimum viable product building a car and like the wrong way is just like put some wheels on the ground and then a seat and the seats you know has no chassis to go on to so it's just on the road and mm-hmm. then you know that's like a minimum viable car whereas if you're, you're thinking about it in the right way like it's a bike you know yep. it's gonna get you there it's gonna take a little bit more work but it actually works and then from there you know you can kind of build off of that yep i know the uh, i know the comic you're talking about it makes a lot of sense yeah and it's also something if you're redoing like an existing site, like you don't necessarily have to do everything. I think from scratch, like you can do small refactors and push it out, and then small refactors and yeah. push it out. Yeah, I, I'd actually say that's the better way to do. It. Like I, I really am a fan of the slow boil, uh, just because if you're lucky enough to have something that users like going to, and you know, a lot of them. Anytime you do a big dramatic change without kind of giving them a notification or a heads up first, you're going to freak them out. And, mm-hmm. you know, like there's there's kind of been some studies on this where, you know, eventually they'll probably all come back if you, you have something critical enough to do or it's your Facebook and like that's yep. all they know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, if you do these little changes, not only are they like encapsulated so you can, you know, test them more rigorously but it's also like little things changing over time gradually it is a lot less of a shock than just kind of flipping the switch and like that thing you like that's red now it's blue <laughs> and upside down and it's also i mean it's nicer for your development team cuz they're now they're not hoisting this giant monolithic prod like product that has to go out and hopefully everything was QA'd yeah. correctly yeah you know releasing smaller chunks you can then test to see like all right, we have a drop-off rate of this, or customer support went up by this. Like, why did that happen? Can we roll this back? Yep. Blah, 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 blah. Yep, yep, yep. That sounds like a topic for a conference talk. Conference I think talk. I think you just created an abstract for yeah, yourself not, there. not it, not it. <laughs> Finger on nose. Um, if you're in Boston, speaking of conferences, if you're in Boston or going to be in the area, is it October, October 1st? 1st? Saturday, there is a free Boston Accessibility Conference. Yep. Um, I don't remember the URL, but we'll link to it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Probably tweet it too, because it's pretty rad that they're doing it for free. Yeah, I went to it last year, and it was phenomenal. Um, you know, just very, very, very deep knowledge, very, very, very dedicated people. Uh, this year's lineup looks great as well. It seems like I think they have an introduct- a couple of introductory kind of talks just so you know, if you're if you're feeling kind of unsure about it, yeah, uh, just kind of swallow that and see what you can see. Because <laughs> everyone there was super friendly. Everyone there was super passionate about what they were speaking about. Awesome. Do you remember? Was the audience mostly like designers and devs, or was it like a curation of people all across the project? It, it definitely skewed towards developers, um, but I feel that that is just kind of generally changing in the industry as we're kind of all waking up to the fact that accessibility is important. Uh, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping it'll be a little bit more diverse, but you know, you could be part of that Vanguard. Yeah. The website says they're still looking for speakers. So if you're interested in submitting a proposal, I mean, go ahead, go for <laughs> go it. ahead and do it. Um, unfortunately, neither of us can make it this year. Otherwise we'd say, come find us and talk to us. Yeah. We should do that, actually. We should go, or we should do some sort of meetup and see if we can get anybody listening to this to come talk to us. Yeah, yeah. Because um, getting some real user feedback would be super helpful. Yeah, we're, we're uh, located in the uh, Boston Fort Point area, right behind the Children's Museum, like 
right behind the big milk bottle, if you know it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'd love to have you on as a guest. It's something I know we've been kind of planning on doing a little bit more often. Yeah, it's so, very smart. Yeah, drop us a line. Uh, it's dbtr.fm. Um, on Twitter, I'm Eric W. Bailey. I'm at M. Kivakoski, which good luck spelling that, but we'll link to it. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that pretty, I think that'll wrap up our uh, design duck boats episode. Boom! <laughs> Transition. <laughs> it will be less than three months until you hear from us again. Um, until the meantime, we'll talk to you on Twitter. As always, thanks for listening. All right, see ya.